did, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to take, take the lesson today from Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. Um, and I want to do something I don't often do, and that is to direct the teaching primarily to the children in our congregation, and I probably should define the word children then. Um, we're all children of God, of course. Uh, but uh, I know our, our culture sort of arbitrarily finds it, it uh, defines a child as, what, 18 or under 18? Um, but, so I'm just going to give my own arbitrary definition. I'm, I'm going to say like 20 and under is better. I, I, think, I think, as I recall, under the Old Testament law, a man wasn't supposed to go to war until he was 20. So, yeah, 20 and under will do for my purposes. So if you're 19 and you think you're not a child, well, I disagree with that assessment. You're almost not a child. Um, but uh, I, that's not intended to be insulting. It's intended to uh, maybe push toward a, a little bit more grounded, reasonable understanding of what a child might be considered from my point of view. Uh, we can dis agree to disagree on that in love, but... I'm telling you who this message is primarily aimed at, and I get to decide that, so I just did. Um, <clears throat> of course, uh, my goal will be here to present the example of our Lord Jesus uh, to the children in our midst so that they can see how important it was to him as a child to obey his parents. Now it gets really serious if you're 19. You think maybe you shouldn't have to do that just because our culture says you shouldn't. And who are they to decide that, by the way? What authority do they have to decide that? My answer to that is none. I've got as much authority, so I'll take it, right? And you can just agree or disagree, as I said, but uh, I think you should be obeying your parents a little longer than maybe our culture thinks you should. Now, to be sure, Jesus' example here is intended for all of us, not just children. But I think it's appropriate to point out his example, especially to children, since the passage we're going to consider is an account of Jesus' actions when he was a, only 12. Now, he was by anyone's definition still a child. Even, even those who think under old uh, Hebrew thought that you were a man when you were 13 or 14 or something like that, I don't think that was ever true biblically, right? But... Even under that assessment, he was still a child, right? Um, and so I think, I think he's especially good example for children. So let's read the text, and then, as always, I will pray uh, for God's guidance. Um, we read beginning in verse 39. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, remember they, they had Jesus circumcised on the eighth day and presented in the temple and all that according to the law. Um, so when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child, referring to Jesus here, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Some translations say the favor of God was upon him. Might have that sense here. Did he, did he need grace from the, set, from the standpoint of he was sinful and, you know, right? Uh, so that's why I think some people want to say favor here instead of grace in some translations. It's hard to imagine 
Jesus needing grace, right? Um, but there's such a thing as preventive grace, right? That God gives us the grace to not sin, right? Not just when we've sinned. Uh, so if it means grace here, it means it in that sense, right? That he's depending on his Father to remain sinless, right? Um, at any rate, uh, Luke goes on to say, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, diligently following the law. And when he was 12 years old, again, speaking of Jesus, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, uh, they went a day's journey and sought him among the relatives and acquaintances. Now, it may seem like they were negligent parents. They didn't know where their son was for a day. But remember, these were extended families and things traveling together, and uh, you might spend half your time on that trip with your aunts and uncles or something like that, and your parents aren't worried about you, right, because the family's all looking after you. So we're not, we're not seeing them as negligent parents here because they weren't quite sure where he was. Beside the fact that Jesus was an obedient child, and they didn't really have to worry too much, right, that he was going to do something wrong. Or, um, but he wasn't there, right, <laughs> as we'll see. Uh, and so they sought him among the relatives and acquaintances, and in verse 45, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, so he's been missing for three days. And as we'll see, he was in the temple the whole time. So he must have been staying there. They must have been putting him up for the night, feeding him, right? Uh, and he was sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Now, any parent knows what they mean by that. Why did you put us through all this anguish? We were afraid, you know. Uh, that's probably the sense of it, right? As any parent would no doubt feel. And uh, then Mary said, Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. So what have you done to us? You caused us all this, in, from their point of view, undue anxiety, fear. And Jesus' answer is quite remarkable. He actually reminds them of something they should have known. In fact, there's no way they could not have known it. And that, therefore, that he hasn't done anything wrong. See, they're kind of accusing him of doing something wrong. What have you done to us? Well, nothing. Really, I've done what you should have expected I would do? That's kind of the answer. You'll see what I mean when we read it in verse 49. And he said to them, why did you seek me? He's asking, from his point of view, why did you have to go on some hunt for me? It should have been obvious to you where I was. He said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, this is a, a polite way, a respectful way of reminding them of what they should have known. He could have said, you should have known where I would be. Where else would I be? Right? Uh, and uh, 
he didn't say it that way. He, he couched it in this question that should have spurred them to think about what they should have known. A little more on that later. But interestingly enough, just like, just like parents can be sometimes, uh, they didn't understand the statement which he spoke to them. Now, that doesn't mean they shouldn't have, as we'll see. They should have. Um, but you see the situation that our Lord Jesus was in when he was a child. He's got kind of a crisis moment with his parents where they completely misunderstand him and what's going on in his life in a way that they shouldn't misunderstand. And they blame him for that. Your parents ever do that? Of course. Because just like Mary and Joseph, none of us parents are perfect. <laughs> of course we misunderstand sometimes. And that's going to be part of the focus that we'll look at this morning. I'm not going to go through all the things that we could learn from this passage, from what Jesus did here, and uh, how it fulfills prophecy in certain ways and so forth. I'm just going to, as I said, be focus on what some principles to bring out for, for the children among us. And let's pray to that end. Holy Father, it's my prayer that you will help us all to learn from the example of our Lord Jesus here today, that you would fill us with your spirit and with understanding. Give us, give us hearts that are quick to obey, anxious to follow you. Help us to learn from the example of Jesus what obedience should look like what submission to authority should look like, especially parental authority. We ask these things uh, for our good and for your glory and in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the uh, central passages of the New Testament concerning our Lord Jesus' obedience is, of course, found in Philippians 2. Um, and in that passage, the Apostle Paul sets forth Jesus as our example of obedience. He says this in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Not just any old death. The most horrific death. Even death on the cross. Of course, I interjected some commentary there, right? When he says even death on the cross, everybody would go, that's the worst kind of death. Talk about obedience. <laughs> It's one thing to be obedient to an easy, quick death. It's another thing to be obedient to a death that tortures you for hours and days. And that's obedience, what we're talking about here. Here Paul says that believers are supposed to have the same mind as Jesus had when he obeyed his heavenly Father, even to the point of death. In fact, we just sang a song about the fa our fathers in the faith and those who have gone before us and how they often died for their faith and we sang, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if their children could learn to do the same, right? That's the kind of faith we all want to have. That's the kind of faith Jesus had, and that's the kind of example he sets for us to have, that kind of faith, that obeys even to death. So this, this means, among other things, 
that we're supposed to have the same obedient attitude. There's a lot of things we can learn from this text, but we're supposed to have the same obedient attitude, at the very least, in our hearts that Jesus had. But we're told elsewhere that Jesus had to learn this kind of obedience in some way, just as we do. Um, this is what the author of Hebrews tells us when he writes in Hebrews 5.8, that though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And as we're going to see today, some of that suffering was, was uh, unduly put on him by misunderstanding but well-intentioned parents. Sometimes it's hard to be the child of even the best parents because sometimes even the best parents misunderstand us, misunderstand how, what they should be doing as parents and uh, maybe treat us a little unfairly. And you could say there's a kind of suffering in that. But what we'll see is Jesus shows us how we're supposed to handle that. He, he learned obedience. And the text we're going to look at this morning has to do with that. Of course, the author of Hebrews had in mind Jesus' suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross primarily. Um, but we know that Jesus began to suffer and to learn obedience long before that, right? And if, as I've already indicated, that's part of what this passage, I think, is about. Um, in fact, in this passage, we can see how Jesus became an example of obedience for us, both toward his earthly parents and toward his heavenly Father. So first of all, let's look at how Jesus sets an example of diligent obedience toward our earthly parents. He sets an example of diligent obedience toward our earthly parents. I think this can be clearly seen in the first part of verse 51, when it says... Then he, referring to Jesus, went down with them, his family, primarily Mary and Joseph, right? And came to, Na uh, came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Now the Greek word Luke uses here to describe Jesus as being subject to his parents uh, can sometimes be used of involuntary obedience, um, where someone is forced to submit to someone else and to do what they say. It's actually used this way later on in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10, verse 17. Um, when the 70 disciples returned from their preaching mission, Luke tells us, with joy, saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now that's, that's not voluntary obedience. <laughs> that's not willful subjection. That they don't want to be subject. <laughs> They're being forced to be, right? But here in Luke 2, this Greek word is used to describe voluntary obedience, where someone submits to someone else because he wants to. In other words, Jesus willingly obeyed his parents. He didn't do so begrudgingly and with a sinful attitude like the demons who obeyed the 70 disciples. Uh, sadly, though, there are many children today who, are bear, who obey their parents like the demons obeyed instead of like Jesus obeyed. That's why I brought out these two examples. If I have to, only because you're making me. You could call that demonic obedience. <laughs> and you'd be right. 
That's following the wrong example, that kind of obedience. The, the better example is the obedience of Jesus, who willingly, lovingly, respectfully obeyed his parents. He wasn't like so many children today who have a bad attitude and they only obey because they have to instead of obeying because they want to. And they obey because they want to follow God's will for them in honoring their parents, just as Jesus honored his parents. And, and what we're reading here is, in fact, how it is that our Lord Jesus obeyed one of the Ten Commandments that God spoke directly to all children. Uh, it's the same one that the Apostle Paul later commanded Christian children to follow in Ephesians 6.1, when he wrote, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother quoting from the Ten Commandments, which is the first commandment with promise. You see, when you obey your parents as Jesus obeyed his parents, you honor them. And that tells us something of the motive for obedience. If you want to honor your parents, why do you do that? It's because you love them. You're more concerned that they look good than that you look good. You're more concerned with how they feel than with how you feel. You're more concerned that their parental authority be upheld than what you perceive to be right and fair in the moment, for example. That's hard. It's hard to obey like that. And nobody but our Lord Jesus has ever really done it. Because, you know, just like your parents aren't perfect, neither are you. Right? They need God's grace, but so do you or you'll never be able to obey like you should. They need God's grace to be the kind of parents they should be. And God knows that you need his grace to be kind of children that you should be. It's hard to obey sinful people, imperfect people. It's hard to do that with love and respect. But it's expected of us by God toward our parents. And with the right heart and with the right attitude, the kind of attitude that Jesus displayed So when you obey your parents, as Jesus obeyed his parents and demonstrates the example for you to follow, then you honor them. And that means you respect them. Uh, you show them that you think highly of them, as you should. Notice also that that commandment that was quoted there by Paul uh, tells children to obey both their parents, not just their fathers or their mothers. In some families, this, this goes astray, this Children are good at obeying and honoring one parent sometimes and not the other. More often than not, they're better at obeying the father than the mother, but it can be the other way around. This commandment is to obey, to honor and obey both your father and your mother. And this is what Luke tells us that Jesus did. Because he says, in the passage we read, that he was subject to them not just Joseph, not just Mary, but them, both of them. And remember, Joseph wasn't even really his father. You could say he was his adopted earthly father. But it still says them. He was the earthly father God gave him to be his earthly father. 
And he obeyed the commandment that you're supposed to obey toward your earthly father. There's no hint of Jesus saying, I have to do what Joseph says. He's not my real dad. Right? There's none of that in Jesus. God has placed me under Joseph as my earthly father, along with my real mother, and I will obey. That was his attitude. I will honor Joseph. Now, we know that was probably easier than most men because we know the story of Joseph and what a righteous man he was. It was probably easier to honor Joseph than most dads, I'm guessing. But as we're going to see, or Mary, I mean, look at Mary's example, probably easier to honor her than most moms. But again, as we're going to see, even these great parents, Joseph and Mary, didn't get everything right. It wasn't always easy for Jesus to obey, but he did anyway. <laughs> Again, sadly, there are many children who just don't do this. Uh, maybe, maybe you're one of those children, I hope not, that your mother has to tell you you're going to be in big trouble when your father gets home in order to get you to do what she says. That should absolutely never happen. Because if your mother has to say that to you, you've dishonored your mother and said, I won't really obey you, I'll only obey dad. You're not honoring both your father and your mother then. You're honoring your dad. And with the attitude that says, I'll only do this when dad gets home because I'll be in big trouble, you're probably not really honoring your dad either because what you're probably really doing is saying, I'm only obeying because I have to, to stay out of trouble. Not because I want to. See what's going on there? I didn't just pull a Jedi mind trick on you. That's what's really happening, right? That's what's really going on. You should never have to be threatened by punishment from your father in order to obey your mother. And when this happens, it just shows you don't honor her as you should. As Jesus honored both his mother and his father. Maybe another example before I move on here would be if you were one of those children that likes to pit your father and mother against each other. I asked dad, could I do this? And he said, no, but I'm now I'm going to go ask mom. See if she'll say yes. And then hopefully in the argument between them that ensues, I'll get my way. That is not honoring your father and your mother. At all. If there's one thing the devil likes to do, it's to insert division into churches and into Christian families. And when you try to pit your father and mother against one another to get what you want, you're doing the devil's work. You're back to demonic obedience, not Christ-like obedience when you do that. It's a very sinful thing. God doesn't tolerate it. Jesus set a much better example than that for you to follow. And the really good thing is, he's the one who'll help you do it. <laughs> he'll give you the strength to do it. But then the question comes up, what about when your parents do something wrong or treat you unfairly? Do you have to obey then? What about when it's hard to obey them because they don't understand your point of view? You're trying to tell them what you think and why you want to do what you want to do and they don't want to seem to listen. And you feel like, well, I'm going to do it anyway because they wouldn't listen to me and I feel like I've been treated unjustly. 
lot of kids disobey that way. Um, I was a kid once, you know. I'm on to these tactics. I know, I know what they're like. I, I did all this stuff, sadly. I, I'm glad to say, in one sense, it was in my BC days. It was before the Lord Jesus saved me. But even then, I knew better. I was still going to Sunday school, and I knew the truth. And I knew, I knew what I was supposed to do. I just didn't do it. I was a devious, demonic obeyer instead of a Christ-like, godly obeyer of my parents. And the other times, they didn't catch me. Right? And I, so I, I can tell you, I wasn't the best child in the world. I look back with great grief. Now, I came from a broken home, and uh, it, it made it even tougher. Constantly being pitted by my mom and dad against each other, step monsters and everything like that. Had a whole bad, a lot of bad things going on in my life as a kid. And a lot of stumbling blocks put in my way as a kid. But here's the thing. I stumbled over every single one of them because I'm a sinner. I still knew I was supposed to obey. I couldn't make excuses. And neither can you. Um, sometimes your parents are going to be unfair. They're going to misunderstand. And I think you'll find encouragement from our Lord Jesus' example here in this passage as well because you can see that he understands full well what you're going through. He's your great sympathetic high priest. He's been tempted in every point as you are, yet without sin, the author of Hebrews tells us. And that includes being tempted to disobey your parents because they don't understand what they should understand and they don't treat you fairly. He understands that temptation too. And he can help, help you overcome that one too. And he sets a good example for you here and what to do in that kind of situation. We know he knows what it's like to be misunderstood by his parents. We saw it in verses 48 through 50. When they saw him, Joseph and Mary, after searching for him, they um, were amazed. Now, think about it. They might have thought, well, he's probably running off doing something that he shouldn't be, or maybe uh, he's just seeing the sights in Jerusalem or something like that. I think when it says they were amazed, they probably finally got to the temple. They heard about this kid probably they've been searching for. Where's our son? Where's our son? Might be in the temple there, you know. And so they went in, they looked, and they probably saw what was going on. He's, got, he's surrounded by all these great teachers of law in a conversation with them. I think most parents would be amazed by something like that, right? His parents were certainly amazed. They probably shouldn't be as amazed as they are. That's part of the problem. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. There's blame in that. You've put us through a lot of fear and anxiety, and that's an accusation. They're treating him as though he ought not to have done this. Now, we know the story, right? We know the historical account of how Jesus was born, right? The Holy Spirit revealed to both Joseph and Mary that this baby was going to, right, be the one to save his people from their sins. He was going to be the Messiah. They knew that before he was born. And they had all the scriptures to describe for them what the role of the Messiah ought to be. 
I'm sure this wasn't the first time the subject may have come up with Jesus and his parents, but we don't know. We don't, we're not given any other information. But we do know from the information we're given in the Gospels that Joseph and Mary knew a lot more than it appears they know here. So Jesus said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that he must be about my father's business? And that's the right answer. You should have understood where I would be and had some sense of what I would be doing. Now, Jesus isn't saying that if it's not true. It is true. But here you have it. We can be dense as believers sometimes. We, we sometimes can even know things in our head, and when it comes to actually practicing those things, we don't understand, and suddenly we're uh, inconsistent, and we don't understand what to do when we should. And that's the kind of thing that's going on here. It says they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Now, as I've indicated, and I think the text kind of shouts to us in the way it's presented, Mary was not being fair when she scolded Jesus for staying behind and talking with the teachers in the temple. She was making an unjust accusation that apparently both her and Joseph agreed upon. She and Joseph, though, should have known that he was supposed to be about his father's heavenly business. And the way he asked the question kind of presupposes that. But they didn't understand. So Jesus was at a point where his understanding was actually better than his parents of what God wanted for him. At 12, now he was a bit of a prodigy. We can all agree to that, right? He wasn't your typical child. And his parents knew that. But still they treated him unfairly. But what did Jesus do? Did he say, repent, ye sinners? I'm not doing what you say. No. We're told he went back with them and was subject to them. He voluntarily submitted to these unfair, misunderstanding parents. That took grace. That took patience. That took love. That took not being selfish. That took a desire to honor your parents, whether they, in your eyes, always deserve it or not. And that's called grace. When you treat people with love, even though they don't deserve it, it's exactly how God has treated you if you've trusted him for your salvation. It's exactly how he expects you to treat your brothers and sisters and your parents. And that kind of leads us to another way in which Jesus understands what you might sometimes go through, especially as you get older in your teenage years and so forth. Um, Jesus knows what it's like to kind of be midway between following God's will for your life and that of your parents. You know, as you get older and you, and you feel like you have a better understanding of what you should be doing with your life and yet your parents still have rules they want you to follow and you, you may not feel like that always fits in with your plans, what do you do then? And mind you, Jesus' plans were really God's plans. There was no mistake about that. It's not like he was searching for God's will for his life. 
He knew it. His response to his parents demonstrates that he knew it at 12 even. But what did he do? He submitted anyway. He fulfilled the law. He obeyed his heavenly father and obeyed his unfair, misunderstanding parents anyway. And he did it willingly. This wasn't demonic obedience. This was godly obedience that we're being given an example of here. Again, Jesus' parents should have understood that he must be about his father's business. After all, they both knew who his real father was, as I said before. But we've seen here that Jesus had to learn obedience. He had to learn to balance his desire to follow his heavenly father's will with his obligation to obey his parents who struggled to understand. But that obligation to obey them was also his father's will. His time for fully starting his messianic ministry wasn't here yet, and he knew that. Or he'd have never left, never left the temple, right? So you see the wisdom of Jesus already. He has to balance out what could appear to be conflicting obligations at 12. And what's he go in favor of? Obey your parents first. They're the authority God put in your life. He says, honor your father and your mother. I'm going to do that. Without being begrudging, without being angry, Without complaining, I'm going to obey. And we can see here uh, some of the, what it means when Luke goes on to say in verse 52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. You can see the wisdom already that he's learning. And as he grows up, gets taller, bigger, grows in stature, and you can see how this would put him in great favor, not only with God, whom he's obeying, first of all, but also with men. His parents are going to look on him with great favor, and so is everybody else who sees that wonderful example of obedience. They're going to say, what a great kid. I wish my kid obeyed like that. Wait, he must have some wonderful parents, would be the next thing they would say, Right? And what's just happened there? That example of obedience has honored his parents. But Jesus also sets an example, and we've already hinted at this some, um, of diligent obedience toward his heavenly father. That's the second main point. Jesus sets an example of diligent obedience toward our heavenly father. Uh, we've already seen how diligent he was to obey God, even as a child. This is what he was talking about when he said what he said to his parents, right? Why did you seek me in verse 49? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? That's another way of saying, I'm obeying my heavenly father. You know, what can be wrong with that? <laughs> now, that's an excuse you can use, right? To not obey your parents. Jesus didn't actively, willingly disobey his parents. Right? He wasn't doing what he was doing to disobey them. He felt they should understand, but they didn't. And he was right about that. Notice that he expected them to get that he would obey the Father first, his heavenly Father, and they didn't get it. 
But he, so he obeyed them like he was supposed to and like he had been doing up to that very point. But they should have known that was his top priority. But as we've seen, in the face of their misunderstanding, he, grad, he graciously uh, submitted to them and obeyed them. And in doing so, also obeyed his heavenly Father who gave us that commandment. Um, and I would argue that he, as he learned obedience through the things which he suffered, he learned better how to obey his heavenly Father by having to obey his earthly parents. But that's God's plan for all of us. Our, our parents are supposed to raise us up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? And as they do that, we're supposed to honor them by obeying them and listening to them, heeding what they say. And so in doing that, we're learning how to better obey God, to fear the Lord, to be instructed by the Lord, to follow the Lord. He gives you these parental authorities to teach you how to submit not just to your earthly father, but better to your heavenly father. Because the kinds of decisions you're going to have to make in obeying your earthly parents are the kinds of decisions you're going to have to make in obeying your heavenly father. There are going to be a lot of other times in your life where people are going to misunderstand you and mistreat you and be unfair. Who are you going to obey then? Your father. Your heavenly Father. How will you have learned to do that? By having to obey your earthly parents in the same kinds of circumstances. That they're not trying to put on you usually, especially not Christian parents, but they're going to do anyway because they're not perfect. And so you do what Jesus does. You obey. Jesus, uh, though he never sinned or disobeyed his parents, apparently he still needed to learn as he grew more and more what it meant to obey his parents. And sometimes this even meant that he had to suffer being misunderstood or mistreated. Falsely accused even of something. Reminds me of the old bit back when uh, Bill Cosby was considered someone you could listen to, right? Uh, he had this thing that he did, this little comic thing that he did that every parent understands. His parents were all, you know, arguing about something. His kids, rather, all arguing about something. It's, she did this, he did that. And he says, I want all of you to, you know, go to your room. And the first thing you hear is, that's not fair. And he says, I don't care about justice. I just want quiet, right? Well, there are a lot of parents like that, Right? who ought to care about justice and watch fair sometimes, but don't. What do you do then? You go to your room and do what you're told. And you don't complain. And you don't have a bad attitude. And you don't curse your parents in anger. I hate you. You don't do anything like that. You say, God, who loves me, tells me I must lovingly obey my parents. And I'm going to go to my room in that instance because I love them, because I want to honor them, and it doesn't matter if I feel like they're being fair or not. It's the right thing to do if I want to follow God, and I'm going to do it. So Jesus had to learn in those kinds of circumstances, right, to obey his parents, and he grew in his understanding of that. The same is true for every child here this morning. Um, you need to, 
There are times where it may just seem they're being unfair, and often that's the case. Because you know what? The smaller you are as a child, the more you don't understand what fair means. You haven't a clue what it really means to be fair. And sometimes what you think is unfair, years later you discover wasn't unfair at all, that your parents were being quite fair. But sometimes they really are actually unfair, like Mary and Joseph were unfair to Jesus. What you do in those situations is going to be the same. You're going to honor God by honoring your parents. As we conclude our examination of this passage, let's think again for a moment about that verse from Hebrews, Hebrews 5.8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Sometimes it can feel like you're suffering as a child, and sometimes you are under your parents. I would say any time you've actually been treated unfairly is a moment of suffering, most of us feel. Most of us don't like to be treated unfairly. We feel like we're suffering when we're treated unfairly. But Jesus, as I said, endured even that suffering. As the East Study Bible notes say about that verse in, in Hebrews, Jesus, though fully divine, was also fully human. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Although always without sin, and always thus obedient, Jesus nevertheless acquired knowledge and experience by living as a human being. And he especially came to know firsthand what it cost to maintain obedience in the midst of suffering. As Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, lots of temptations and constant temptations were no doubt more difficult to deal with. And as he obeyed his father in the face of each temptation, he learned obedience so that his human moral ability was strengthened. I just say, do you want to learn to obey your heavenly father as Jesus learned to obey him? To all the children here today, 20 and under, I could push a little higher if you want, but 20 and under is at least, right? Uh, do you want to learn to obey your heavenly father as Jesus learned to obey him? Do you want to be a good Christian? If you do, then you simply have to start with learning to obey your parents like Jesus did. You don't look toward when you're 18, according to our culture, or 20, according to me today. You don't look to that moment thinking, well, then I'll get on with God's will for my life after my parents are out of the way. No. Learning from and obeying and honoring your, honoring your parents is God's will for your life. That's his will for your life as a child. And I would argue, even as a guy who's 56, I still want to honor my parents as best I can, no matter how difficult that is. And the ways you do that change. But it still should be our goal if we want to be like Jesus and so he left you a good and encouraging example. But if you struggle, pay close attention to what we'd read in verse 40. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace, or if you want to take it that way, favor of God was upon him. Even though Jesus never sinned, uh, we know that one of the reasons he never sinned is he was trusting in the God, 
his father, his heavenly father, God to help him, to give him the strength. That's part of what he did in order to overcome sin. Even though you will never be perfectly and sinlessly obedient as Jesus was, through his saving work, you can have the same grace of God in your life that was upon him. The grace to help you to obey. And unlike Jesus, when you disobey, God's forgiveness, his grace of forgiveness, when you repent. And then his further strength to do better. And you too can increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Because that, as a child, is what you should want to do. You should want to, as you grow up, become more wise. That means understanding the Christian faith and how to put it into practice in your life. That kind of wisdom. You should want to become more wise. And you should want to have proper favor with God and men. You, you should want to have a heavenly father that looks at you and says, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. And you should want your Christian family around you in your church to say, that kid is a good example of a Christ-like kid. And when they do that, they'll say, wow, their parents, that child's parents must really be following the Lord. And you've honored your parents better than anyone could ever honor them when that happens. That's what God wants for you to do. That's his will for you. Let's pray. Holy Father, I, I hope I've been able to speak to our young people here today uh, and I, in a way that they can take to heart what is said. I've tried to speak more simply at times, a little bit more um, of an, in an adult manner at others so that because I know that as kids grow, they grow in their understanding and some need to be challenged at a higher level and I wanted to do that for them today. And I just hope, Lord, that they understand that all the things I've said here are said with love because not only do they not have perfect parents, they don't have perfect pastors either. And they're supposed to submit to us as leaders in the church with the same kind of desire to honor those in authority over them. And we're going to get things wrong too. Help us, together with their parents, to endeavor to be the best, most godly examples we can be. Help us to be people they want to, really want to submit to, who make it easy for them to do that, I pray. But when we fail, Lord, and we will, give them the strength to obey you anyway desiring to follow their heavenly Father most of all. And for any here today who do not know you, we ask that you would help him or her to trust that Jesus died for their sins, that he rose from the dead, and that he will give them a free gift of eternal life, of forgiveness of all their bad things they've ever done. He'll give it as a free gift. They don't have to do anything to earn it. They just have to receive it by faith. And for those who have been pricked in their hearts today and feel like they've been convicted of sin in the way they've either disobeyed or grudgingly obeyed their parents instead of wanting to obey them like they should, help them to just seek your forgiveness and 
put it all behind them, and start anew today. That's all that needs to happen. I'm sure their parents would love to go along with that plan. We give you all the glory for what you have done as a result of this teaching and what you will continue to do through it. We pray these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thanks, thanks for your kind attention, especially you younger ones, especially you 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds. That I, I didn't mean to offend you, but I want to be more realistic than our culture is. <laughs>